everyone. I'm Devin McDonald, a partner at OpenView. We're taking a short break in between seasons to chat with Max Yoder. Max is co-founder and CEO of Lessonly, which delivers team learning software that helps people do better work. He just came out with a new book and we wanted to share it with our community. Max, welcome to the Build Podcast. It is a pleasure to be here. I was looking forward to this all week. So you're the CEO of Lessonly, a high growth startup in OpenView's portfolio based out of Indianapolis. Before we jump into your new book, Do Better Work, can you tell us a little bit about Lessonly and why it is you exist. Yeah, Lessonly makes training software. We started the business six and a half years ago under the premise that a lot of people purchase training software and they tend to see little value from it. We were wondering, why is that happening? Why are people who are buying training software so dissatisfied with it? And then what about all those people out there who want to buy training software but aren't? What's going on there? So Mm -hmm. fundamental premise is what's going on with training software? What we learned over time is that training software tends to be built for human resources teams who are thinking about compliance and maybe manager training. But there's a whole other population of people in companies that also need training software that is purpose-built for their needs as opposed to the human resources needs. Population that we focus on today are sales teams and customer service teams. We call them customer-facing teams. Customer-facing teams means they're engaging with the customer either pre-sale or post-sale. These teams have very different needs than the HR training software to satisfy. They need to both learn new information and then practice that information, but the rate of change that happens with the information transfer is very, very high. So think about a sales team or a customer service team. This month, there are certain features they need to learn how to talk about. There are certain objections that they need to learn how to handle based on changes to the market or changes to competitive pressures. And those things need to be learned right now. And next month, there's going to be a whole different menu of things that need to be learned or relearned. So the speed at which training is created is a really important thing that we focus on at Lessonly. We help you create training content in a speed optimized way so you can create it fast and then update it quickly to keep up with reality. And then we need to help people practice what they've just learned, which is a big missing component in kind of traditional training softwares. The practice can component means we need to give people a way to take whatever it is that we've just told them was really important and give them a chance to try it before they're live on the phone with the customer or the prospective customer. So an example might be, we've just taught you how to respond to somebody who asks about a new promotion if you're a customer service rep. Before you go live and try that response out with a real customer, we should give you an emulated environment where you can give it your best shot. You can respond in such a way and we can evaluate you across certain criteria so you can understand why you're knocking it out of the park and maybe why you still have opportunities to improve. What we've done is emulated a bunch of practice environments like chat, like email, even a Zoom meeting where you can turn on your camera and act like you're talking to somebody and we can give you feedback on you know, your facial expressions. Were you excitable and bringing good energy to the call? Or maybe were you a little more downcast and despondent? We can give you feedback on all that stuff so you can learn it before you go live with the customer and you can improve before it's go time. Between learning and practicing, that's really where we focus so that you can perform better and do better work, which as you mentioned, is the title of the book. A perfect transition to my next question, Max. Clearly, you're very passionate about the topic and you do want your customers and and your end users to do better work. What inspired you to write this book? Because obviously that's a major undertaking. What kind of pushed you to the point at which you said, okay, I'm going to do this? Yeah, so I had been writing a weekly email to our weekly email subscribers. It's really a weekly note. I love to write. I get a lot of joy out of it. And the team and I noticed that there were some trends coming up out of it that we really wanted to package them in such a way that they were easy to digest for anybody. I've always wanted to write a book and we learned a lot about doing better work at Lessonly. Some of it has to do with training software. Some of it just has to do with the everyday interactions, the everyday ways we interact with our teammates. When we interact with our teammates in ways that make progress and when we interact with our teammates in ways that kind of bring setbacks, what are the differences? What's occurring there? What are the 
behaviors we're doing when we make progress? What are the behaviors that we're doing when there are setbacks on teams? I wanted to think about that. I wanted to be given time to say, what have we learned over the years from our own team, from our customers, and just from other people's experiences and, and try to congeal it down into a short book that anybody can read. You know, the Do, Do Better Work ended up at about 120 pages. So an hour and 15 minutes, you can read the whole thing. And I wanted to share that first and foremost with our team members, because my big mission is if telling you what I expect of you is the best way for me to kind of get what, I, what I'm expecting. If I'm clear about what I need from my mm-hmm. teammates, they're much more likely to do it. The sign of a good leader right there. Well, I appreciate that. The first and foremost, the, the goal was let's be clear with our teammates. And if we're clear with our teammates about the things that we know work, we should also share it with other people because we have got customers who are constantly asking us, you know, what do you guys do that's working for you? And do better work is the the perfect example of the things that we do that have been working for us. And we just want to share them with other people. So it was a real joy to write. I love hearing that it came from your your weekly update email or, or notes. I think that's a, a great idea as a, a leader to be doing something like that regularly and for your audience to hear your voice consistently. As you were writing the book, Do Better Work, and pulling all of those resources together, who did you have in mind? Was it your team at Lessonly? Was it a broader audience? Who were you writing this book for initially? Yeah, it was first and foremost for the team at Lessonly. I knew that if we wrote a book that resonated with the team at Lessonly, that we're not that much different than anybody else in the world, right? We're just people. So if we were able to deliver a book to our teammates that really resonated and really added extra clarity to their behaviors and the way that they work every day, we knew it was going to work elsewhere too. This is kind of a nice little natural testing ground for us. But I was thinking about a specific individual and that specific individual, he would call himself a mentee of mine. I would be his mentor and he'd be a mentee. And I was thinking about just writing to that person because I wanted to just have a single person I was thinking about. It's really hard to kind of write to a crowd. So I just visualized this gentleman who frequently calls and says, Max, I'm at this crossroads. What do I do? And just saying, hey, it'd be really nice to be able to hand this to him and say, I hope this really helps. And then he doesn't have to call me anymore, which is a joke. I I, I love it when he calls (laughs) But I had to visualize somebody and it really helped to kind of distill it down to one person. I had a chance to read your book and I absolutely love it. I learned a lot. Thank you for for writing it and sharing it. And I got the sneak peek, which was pretty cool. I want to rattle off some of the chapters of the book or actually all the chapters of the book because I think at a high level, even the titles alone offer really great advice. Share before you're ready. Look for opportunity. Ask clarifying questions. Highlight what's working. Have difficult conversations. That's a good one get more agreements and bring brightness to the room. Obviously, all of these chapters are very meaningful for you and you wouldn't have included them if if they were not. But I'd love to hear about if you could pick a couple of those just that really kind of stand out for you or that you want to share today with our audience. Yeah, you bet. I would love to. First of all, uh, as I said, thank you for reading. There are not many people who've read this book yet. So it means a lot to me that you've read it. When it's for sale, I hope there will be a lot of them. But right now it's really special to me and I hope it always will be just to hear that people took the time. So thank you for taking the time. If I had to kind of zero in on two of the chapters that uh, are especially special to me, believe me, I spent copious amounts of time with every one of them. So it's really hard to say that any one of them isn't special. When I was done with this book, it was the most emotional thing I've probably ever done. That's not true. I did get married. Um, but, but this was this was uh, very emotional. Two things that really stick out. Share before you're ready and have difficult conversations. Those are the two topics that if I had to pass on a little bit of the book and I couldn't pass it all on for whatever reason, those are the two things that I would share. And I would be happy to tell you why. Let's jump in. Share before you're ready is, is funny because share before you're ready and have difficult conversations. 
They've been values at Lessonly since we've had values at Lessonly. And we've just seen a tremendous benefit to them. The idea behind Cheer Before You're Ready is that we often will work on projects and we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into something. And the next thing we know, we're offering it to our teammates to use and they're not really using it. And we're wondering, what the heck, where did I go wrong? I just put all this energy into something, but it's not being used or appreciated. Then there are other times where we put in a lot of energy and people snatch up our work like it's gold. So sharing before you're ready is about getting to more gold, creating more events where you finish something and people are really, really excited about the work that you've done. And the whole concept is if you're going to share before you're ready, you need to be thinking along the lines of leaders learn the answer as opposed to leaders know the answer, which is incredibly big difference. One word difference, right? Leaders learn the answer or leaders know the answer. I think a lot of people believe that leaders are supposed to know the answer, that when they start on a project or an initiative, if they're any good, they have foresight and understanding of what to do to make something work. So what they do is they stay in the vacuum of their mind and they, they get to work and they say, man, people are not going to believe it when I come out and I show them all this great work I've been doing. A lot of times that approach ends up as a dud. It doesn't work because you didn't go out there to the people who are ultimately going to be taking whatever you've worked on and using it and get an understanding of if your vision for what needs to happen is actually correct. It's really simple, basic stuff, but a lot of times we don't share early in the process of creating something. What ends up happening is we create the wrong thing. The overlap between what's getting done and what's needed, there isn't much overlap. So what I want to do with Share Before You're Ready is help people get more overlap between what's getting done and what's needed. And the way that you do that is you just communicate more often and earlier in every project. You start a project, you draft out what you're thinking about working on, what you think you know success looks like, and then you run it by the stakeholders who ultimately depend on it being a good outcome. And you say, what, what am I missing here? What's working in this and what am I missing? And they can poke holes. They can highlight the things that you're doing really well and highlight the areas that you might be missing. And next thing you know, by the time you're done, you've created the right thing as opposed to the thing that you thought was the right thing. So sharing before you're ready is important because it affects everybody all the time. The more we share, the better we do. I think that's really good advice, soliciting feedback early. What I also love about the concept of sharing before you're ready and and talking to the different stakeholders that are involved, by doing that, you're also sort of getting their buy-in and helping them sort of already start to sort of process it in their mind, what you're trying to achieve so that ultimately when you're ready to roll something out, they're like, oh yeah, of course, that was my idea in the first place, right? I think it's genius. They stamped it. I mean, it's so basic, but it's so hard to do. I I have people tell me that they struggle so much to share before they're ready because they have learned to be perfectionists. And often what happens when we try to be perfectionists is we keep things to ourselves until they're ready, quote unquote. And then we say, ta-da, and people are like, well, what the heck is that? So sharing before you're ready is having a lot less of what the heck is that, and every team thrives on that. We make a lot more progress when we end up with gold instead of duds. And then having difficult conversations. That's the next one. Yeah, let's talk about it. I think that's a really important one and often can be very difficult, right? (laughs) You bet. And it's still difficult. I mean, there is no way to get to the point in my experience where difficult conversations aren't difficult. I think what you end up learning is that when you have the difficult conversation and you get on the other side of it, how much better everybody feels and how much clearer what you need to do is. The idea of having difficult conversations is exactly that. We often see conflict and we think, "Uh uh-oh, this is bad, and we try to walk the other direction. We avoid it, we repress it, or we fight through it. And the argument in this book is that doesn't help. The fact of the matter is we've never really learned how to have difficult conversations. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I think we had two different hour-long sessions that were gymnasium sessions where people came in and talked about conflict resolution. Two hours over 12 years of growing up. That's not a whole lot of time to become an expert at anything. Is that similar to you? Did you ever have any conflict management classes when you were growing up? Nothing that I can remember, but it probably would have been pretty beneficial. It would have been super beneficial. I mean, one of my dreams is to work with the Secretary of Education at the national level or the state level, whomever will listen, and just say, guys, every day, people, 
are dealing with conflict. They're struggling with conflict. We're not equipping them to live if we're not helping them understand what conflict means, first and foremost, and then how to work through it. The argument is conflict is just a data point. And if we ignore that data point, we don't learn. But if we embrace it as a data point, as something that is going to teach us and help us grow and understand one another better, we learn really quickly and we create more opportunities for us to make progress together. If we look at conflict as this nasty thing that should be avoided, that's not good. If we look at it as an opportunity to learn and grow and understand, that's really good. And the chapter lays out an approach to dealing with conflict called nonviolent communication. And nonviolent communication, you can read about it in the book, but the basic idea is how do we communicate with one another in ways that show compassion and empathy? And anybody can do it. It's not something that you have to have high EQ to use nonviolent communication. You just have to follow the steps. And you can do it in a way that's human and approachable and not robotic and ideally build more understanding. I want people to do that at home. I want them to do it at work. Because conflict is not something that we're ever going to get to go away. It's going to be around. If we're working hard, we're going to move fast. Conflict's going to be there. So we need to learn how to work through it with compassion and empathy and turn it into progress. I think it's great advice. And it's interesting, too. I think we're, as a society, becoming more and more adverse to conflict. I think that through things like just communicating via text and social media, you can sort of hide behind your computer or your device and not deal with that conflict head on. So I think it's that much more important, as you're describing, to get it into the educational systems. I mean, obviously, the earlier, the better. But it's funny, I even spoke with some of the administrators at the university I went to, uh, Colgate University, and they said, what classes do you wish that we had offered at Colgate? And I was like, I wish that you would offer intro to conflict management because people come out of school and they don't know how to deal with it. And we all deal with it in the workplace, but no one knows how to really kind of process it and sort of find improvement in conflict. You're singing my song. I mean, we are juveniles when it comes to what we learn about dealing with this and it happens every day. So what we tend to do is we tend to just devote to the things that have been modeled to us. And that tends to be argument which can be highly destructive to relationships when you kind of fight through things or it's repression or it's avoidance or it's venting to somebody else just to feel more justified and Mm self-righteous in your position and all those things, they don't create more harmony. They don't create more progress. So let's learn a better way. How have the book's principles been adopted throughout the Lesson Lee organization? I'm not sure at what point that you had the team read it and start to sort of apply some of the principles that you describe, but would love to hear about the changes that you've seen within the organization after having implemented this book. Many of these chapters have been values for multiple years. So we really just took what we've learned by applying them over the years and getting them documented in the book. Other chapters are more recent additions to lesson, like highlight what's working is an example there. Highlight what's working is all about, let's make sure that we're speaking to the things that are working in our organization, because there's an assumption sometimes that what's working is broadly known. But the reality is a lot of times what's working is known in a few people's heads and not others. And the more Mm -hmm. people understand what's working, the likelihood of them doing what works is higher if they know that it's working. But we don't tend to share what's working as much as often as we share what isn't working. And what isn't working is the opposite of what we want people to know. What we want people to know is what to do, not what not to do. So highlighting what's working is something that over the past year we've been implementing and seeing a ton of positivity around. Things like asking clarifying questions, that's been rooted in certain people on the team for a really long time. And the whole goal of this book is to get it rooted in a lot more people minds. Corey Kime is our vice president of client experience. He is a wizard at asking clarifying questions. He helps us avoid kind of half-baked thoughts over and over again by asking 
just simple questions like, you know, what do you mean by what you just said? Because often we assume we're communicating really clearly, but we're leaving a lot of information out in our conversations. I might say the sales team isn't really interested in that idea. And Corey goes, well, what makes you say that? And then it, I ultimately come out and say, well, one person on the sales team said they weren't interested in that idea. It wasn't really the sales team at all, but without the clarifying question, I'm not being very clear. Corey's been doing that for years and that this chapter is effectively devoted to him because he showed me just how much it helps people get on the same page if people can be more inquisitive and everybody on the team can be more inquisitive. And the more inquisitive we are, the more we realize if we're actually being clear and saying what we want to say or if we're leaving information out and making people guess and assume. Across the board, we've been doing these things and not everybody's doing them at the same rate. So basically this book is one big addition of highlighting what's working. This is the stuff that works. I need everybody to be doing it. And if we all do it, holy moly, it's going to work even better. So obviously this book has been a, a major undertaking, but sounds like something you're so passionate about. So I'm sure there was a lot of joy in the process of creating it as well. Do you foresee there being a part two? And have you thought about what that book might be about? Yeah, good question. I think I have to learn what works in this book before I think about a part two. I definitely thought of some other things I want to write about because I've got the itch now. I missed the process already. It was just a great joy. I really encourage anybody out there who, who has convictions about things to sit down and try to write out their convictions because what you'll find is that there's a lot of contradictions if you're anything like me in, in a lot of our convictions. But we don't realize it until we put those convictions down on paper and see that, oh man, there's a lot of cases where I don't believe what I just wrote down or what I just wrote down actually doesn't work as well as I might've thought it would. But until you get it out of your head into a place where it can be kind of more objectively viewed, it's tough to see. So to answer your question, I don't know what V2 will look like. I think we need to get a lot of feedback. The good news is we shared before we we're ready with this book in the process. And if you look at the acknowledgements in the back of the book, there's a lot of people who reviewed these chapters. I think upwards of 30% of the Lessonly team read at least one chapter and gave feedback on it before we launched. And then there's probably 70 other people who went through it. So I know that you know these things aren't absurd that we put in here, but I want to learn more what really resonates. What did we miss? We're going to go out on speaking tours and book tours. And people are going to ask really great questions about things that maybe I, I never thought of that maybe should be in V2, but I don't know what those are yet. It sounds like you were sharing the book before it was ready. So you were applying your own principles right there in, in the process of creating this. I'm glad I did. People helped a ton. I mean, you would laugh at some of the chapters in their earliest versions. I want to see the outtakes at some point, Max. I'm going to look at them and I'm going to laugh. I've only looked at a few and then I was like, I can't do this right now. But yes, I would love to show you. How can our audience get access to your book? I think you said that at some point in time, they built to buy it on Amazon. I'm sure we have a lot of the podcast listeners today saying, I want to buy this. How can I get access? What's the recommendation there? I appreciate you asking. So go to dobetter.work and you'll be able to buy the book. It is, like I said, a really swift read. One of those books where you don't look at it and you're like, I'm never going to finish that. You can look at it and you can finish it on an airplane ride. And that was purposeful. But lessonly, we make training software that has really bite-sized learning content in it. So we wanted to make sure that each chapter here could be picked up and in a 15-minute interval be completed. And ideally, people go back and reread it because it's so fast. But I highly encourage people to give it a look. I'm so open to hearing what you think about it. And I'd be delighted to hear from you. Is there an audio version out there yet? Or is that maybe at some point in the future? Yeah, there's an audio version. So if you go to dobetter.work, we'll have context for where to get the audio version. But yes, I'm doing the recording myself. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share with us all the learnings today and very excited for this book to be out there in the wild. I'm sure that a lot of people are going to get value in, in Do Better Work. So thank you so much, Max. Devin, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you making time to talk to me and I hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. Thanks.
Thanks for tuning in. Season five begins next week with our new host, Blake Bartlett. Blake will be speaking with tech leaders to hear firsthand how they've leveraged a product-led growth model to put product at the center of their acquisition, conversion, and expansion strategies. He'll be chatting with leaders from top PLG companies like Slack, Trello, Dropbox, and more. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.